All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for um, your word that it is alive and it is relevant to our lives, God, that it, it changes our lives when we apply it to it. God, we just, we thank you for your presence today, God. We thank you that you are moving. Holy Spirit, just move in this place. Give us wisdom, impart into us your knowledge, your revelation, God. God, we just thank you for that today. Amen. All right. So we've been talking about the, uh, the table, and um, if you guys haven't heard most of this, go listen to the podcast. It'll explain a little bit better. Um, but we were talking about, I started to think about this. I was talking, it was talk, I heard a guy talking about a kitchen table, how life happens around the kitchen table, how it becomes your pile where you, when you come in the house, you set things on the table, how your kids eat there, you have school projects, different um, events, um, arguments, discipline, you know, wisdom, everything's like that. So it made me start to think about this and how, uh, how the kitchen table at our house can relate to the table in the kingdom. And so we started talking about, and I'm just going to, I've got two things that I really want to talk about, but I'm just going to do a quick review. um, And we're going to do, I didn't need them, one-line reviews. So there we go. It's going to be easy. So we learned that restoration happens at the kitchen table. And we talked about Jonathan, Jonathan's son. I'm going to say this, Mephibosheth. There we go. I got it. I've been practicing all day. And um, how David restored Jonathan's son, his land, his, his prestige, his authority. And he said, you're going to eat at my table for the rest of your life. That's huge. God restores us and he's always looking to bring us back to the table, to where we sit next to him. Because there's always a spot next to God. We're thinking, well, who gets the spot? You know, there's always that, you know, when your kid's at the um, kid lunch table at school, you want to sit by a certain person. And if you don't get to sit by that person, you're like, oh, I didn't get to sit by them. So in our life, we always want to sit next to God. And he always has a space for us. So in Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Short dude. I think of an Oompa Loompa when I think about him. <laughs> Willy Wonka. Um, but transformation happened. Jesus said, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to talk with you. And something's going to change. And what did he do? He said, I'm going to give back what I've taken. The stuff I've wrongfully taken, I'm going to give back. And I'm going to give back on top of that, of what I've taken. And then we learned that in Ezekiel 44, ministry happened. In, in uh, Ezekiel 44, it talks about the table of the Lord, and they w- the priest would come and minister to God and leave um, and work at the table of the Lord and minister to God himself. Um, and then we talked about when, you got, when the seniors graduated, how wisdom is imparted at the table. James 1.5 says, If you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. How many of you guys know of times you've been sitting around your kitchen table and you impart wisdom to your kids whether they want it or not, whether they like it or not, right? There's times where your kids are like, I don't want to listen, but they listen because they're stuck at the table, you're feeding their faces, and you're going to impart wisdom to them. The next one is acceptance. Matthew 9, I love this because he calls Matthew, he says, Matthew, come follow me. And then Matthew follows him, but after that, Jesus is eating 
with sinners. And the Pharisees say, why is he eating with sinners? And Jesus is like, I come for the sick, not the healthy. A doctor doesn't, a doctor doesn't come for somebody who doesn't need him. They, a doctor comes for someone who does need the doctor. The sick need the doctor, the well don't. But then after that acceptance, impartation happens. And I'm going to read the same scripture in a different book. It says, Jesus sat at the table with sinners and tax collectors. He sat with the unwanted, the unaccepted, and the socially void. The people that could not be part of society on a regular basis, the unclean, the unsavory people, Jesus sat with them and said, you know what? I'm going to impart something to you. And it made me start to think, you know, Jesus sat with all these sinners and tax collectors. It makes me wonder, did every one of them repent and follow him? And I don't think they did. I think Jesus sat with people who did not repent, who didn't follow him, and didn't believe that he was Jesus. But it wasn't about, it wasn't Jesus saying, well, I know you're going to believe, because he knew. Jesus knows. It wasn't like, oh, well, you're going to believe, you're going to believe, you're going to believe, and you come talk with me, but you, I know you're not going to believe. So you can't listen to me. And it made me start to think about how we as Christians, it's like sometimes we hold back the wisdom that we have because we don't think a certain um, orientation of whatever is acceptable to receive the impartation that we have. And that's sin. I'm just saying it that way. The impartation that God gives us is an impartation for the rest of the world to have. It's not for a select group of people. Well, you don't believe this way or you don't have this, um, whatever, you don't uh, follow the social norms or the godly norms of what um, the Bible says. So we can't accept you and we're not going to impart wisdom into you. And, and it made me really start to struggle, or I started to struggle with, with that, how we will pick and choose who can hear the gospel and who we allow in the church and who we allow to be um, discipled. And it, it made me think, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I don't believe the way you believe. I don't, have, I don't believe in the, um, the sanctity of church. I don't believe in the sanctity of your life. I don't believe in the, the God-created man and woman in his image, and that's final. But I want to understand everything that you have. Would we say that to that person? Would we give that to that person? Would we spend that time to disciple that person? Even though we we know they don't believe, but if they showed up every day for two hours and they wanted to hear everything we had to say about the word of God, would we still do it? And most of us can say no, because it would be like, oh, I'm wasting my time because they don't believe. They don't really want, they don't want that. But at the same time, we have to look in and say, they're going to show up for two hours a day. I have a captive audience for two hours. They said they'll be here for two hours. And then I can tell them about who God is, what his norms are, what his kingdom looks like, what his idea of marriage and sexuality and social issues and family and whatever show up. We have someone, and, and I think so many times we choo- pick and choose who, who can hear what God is saying. And Jesus is like, I don't care who you are. You come and you sit at the table with me. You may not follow me. You may not live the rest of your life in, in service of my kingdom, but I'm still going to impart to you the wisdom that I have. And then the next one is healing happens. 
Matthew 15, 21. I'm not going to read these scriptures for you, but um, it's the Canaanite woman. And in one translation, it says, the Canaanite woman was wailing, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, so wailing is not just, hey, son of David. Wailing is something of immense pain, immense distress. And she's wailing, son of David, Lord, son of David. She called him Lord and she called him son of David because she knew that he was the Christ. She knew that he was the healer. And he's like, you know what? I'm not supposed to minister to you right now, but I'm going to give you what you ask because you have faith. Mark 16, 14. And this is a, a quick one. Uh, correction. How many of you guys have ever been corrected around your kitchen table with, with somebody, with your parents? How many of you guys have corrected your children around the kitchen table as parents? Do not use your fork like that. Um, you know, yeah, use a fork. My, with my kids, it was, I'm still trying with this one. Use a fork. Please use a fork. At least when you use peanut butter, use a knife, you know, not your fingers. Um, Yeah, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. So we're just going to start buying our own jar of peanut butter. Um, but Jesus corrects his disciples. He said, you had such little faith. He goes, why? He goes, why did you sit around? And I love this part. He says, um, and it's actually the, the heading over this scripture is the Great Commission. But what's awesome about the Great Commission is that he corrects them before he sends them. And I think sometimes as, as parents, we have to correct our kids before we send them out. And God does the same thing for us. But Jesus says this, he says, after he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world. How quickly did Jesus transition from stop doing what you're doing, behave yourselves, go take over the world? He didn't say, well, you know, no, I got to come back for another year. We got to do this again. No, he corrected them because he knew their hearts were right. They needed a little smack and a turn. And he said, now go and preach the good news. But he said, you're not only going to go preach the good news, you're going to do it better than I did. And I think correction has to happen in order for us to, to, to get to that next level with God sometimes. Our, our relationship with God for our, our depth of relationship and for our service in, in, uh, of the kingdom have to, have to uh, be corrected in order to go farther. It's like plants when you plant them. Like we had a pepper plant and Noah was, a, Noah was at our house a couple weeks ago and he said, your pepper plant it was just like laying down. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize it. So I had to put a stick in there, put, um, put the plant on it and, t- and kind of prop it up. And I think sometimes we have to adjust things in our life to get fruit, to, to, to bear. And I think God corrects us, but then he sends us. He, he corrects us and says, do this, but now you're going to do this. You're going to get a talking to, but now you're going to stand up straight and you need to go do what you need to do. And sometimes we just need that little bit of bending, that little bit of adjustment to make our lives better. And then uh, 
after that, the correction is evangelism. Evangelism happens at our kitchen table. I don't know how many people we've talked to about Christ at our kitchen table. Not just like leading them to Christ, but they've made a decision. Evangelism doesn't, doesn't stop when someone um, accepts Christ. There's still a little bit after that they need to understand. Because you can't just say, do you want Jesus? Is your life miserable? You're really emotional right now? Good. You've, oh, you accepted Jesus. Now we're done. That's not a... Okay. No, there's, there's a little bit after that that has to happen. It is the understanding of the decision they've made to help them walk out the decision they've made. And I think when we start to take into account what has happened in our homes, what has happened in our lives, we will start to look and say, man, that was evangelism. I didn't even realize it at the time. I didn't realize what we were doing. I didn't realize we were talking to our kids about, you know, when your kids are little, what are you doing? You're teaching them the Word of God even before they're saved. It's evangelism. You're evangelizing your children while they're in their, their high chair eating Cheerios or whatever, and you're speaking the Word to them. You're helping them understand because there has to be an understanding of what our lives are like without Christ in order for us to come to Christ. So when we start to speak to our children in their high chairs, we're evangelizing our own children, your grandchildren, whatever. You have the ability to evangelize, and it doesn't just have to, it's not just go out. It's people, come on in. Come sit at our kitchen table. Come sit with us. Come spend time with us. And evangelism happens that way. And that's the thing is evangelism is not based on who we're going to pick. Oh, this person seems worthy. No, the, the kingdom is not based on race, re- region, you know, religion, anything like that. The kingdom says, I'm going to find people who don't know him and I'm going to bring them in. You know, I, I look at it and say, we, we've all had a past religion, whether you believe it or not. You worshiped at some idol, you worshiped at some something before you came to Christ. And so when we come to Christ, he's like, I don't care where you've come from, what you've done, where, where you've believed. I'm going to change that. I'm going to bring you in, and we're going, to, we're going to start to pick up some new beliefs, some new habits, some new things. But that responsibility comes, a responsibility comes to us when we do get, come to the table. You know, our kids, we teach them manners. Use your fork, use a knife, use a spoon, not to fling stuff at your, your sibling, not to you know, like this and feed it to the dog, you know. It's, there's something that comes as a responsibility when we become a family member. When we come into the kingdom of Christ, we become part of the family. And when we come to the table, there's a responsibility on our end. You know, a, ta- a table is where we gather and eat, um, we communicate, where the Father restores us, he fills us. Think about this. With Jesus, most of the things that Jesus did with his disciples— after the, the, the training moments was the talking moments. Jesus, what was he doing at the Last Supper? He was eating with them and telling them what was going to happen. What did he come, what did he find them doing when he rebuked them and sent them out? He found them reclining at a table. So that means they were eating. They were breaking bread together. But he filled them and restored them in that brief moment of time, he, he restored them and said, nope, your sin is, you, you had unbelief, you did, I'm going to restore you. But now he's like, hey, now I'm filling you to go out. 
And so as Christians, as family members, we have to start to pick up that responsibility. Pick up some of the responsibility. You know, I, I, uh, I feel bad for like the younger siblings in families when the older siblings move out because all those chores, it's like, who does all these chores now? You know, like you get three or two or three of them that fall out. Sierra's over there shaking her head like, yeah, all the chores. <laughs> but all, you know, the younger kids, sorry, Jared and Kaylee, your daughter's going to do the same thing. So um, the younger kids, it's like all these older ones move out. It's like, who gets to do all these chores now? I get to do all these chores now because mom and dad are like, I'm too busy. You get to do these chores because you're not busy enough. And, um, but there's a responsibility we pick up when we come into the kingdom. We pick up responsibility. We have to pick it up in order to grow, in order to be um, a part of that family. You know, we, if we pick up responsibility, it's not a self-serving kingdom. I think so many times we have a self-serving kingdom. It's, um, it's what can I get out of the kingdom? What can I do? You know, I talked about it a couple weeks ago about how we kind of just belly up to the buffet bar of the kingdom and like, give me what I want, give me what I want. And then we get rid of our plate and then go back and get it what we want. You know, the kingdom is not a ponderosa where the person picks up your plate for you and just you go get what you want. There's a responsibility where we have to go and be responsible and take care of what, we've, what, we've, um, what we choose to eat. We, we've fallen into, in our culture, we've fallen into a, a society of what can I get out of church? What it, I go and it makes me feel good. Well, it's not about you feeling good. Sorry, I'm just saying right now, it's not about you feeling good. It's about what God is doing in you and what you're doing in his kingdom. And I think so many times we try to, we try to find something that feels good. And I've heard so many people, oh, it just feels good when I go there. Well, I understand that, but it's not about uh, our feelings. The kingdom of self, the kingdom of getting by, the kingdom of just being, I'm here to help other people. The kingdom that doesn't lead to eternal life. Those are selfish kingdoms. And it's, a, it's a, as part of the family of God, we cannot be in that mindset. We have to start to look and say, what do I bring to the table? What do I bring to the world when I leave that table? None of those kingdoms that self-serving lead to eternal life. They lead to more depression. They lead to more angst. They lead to more hurt because we're so, we're in that mindset of looking, what can I get? What can I get? How can I get my needs met? But they're all missing that element and that's surrendering our life to Jesus, giving our life to Jesus. I think we try to give our life to Jesus and keep the things we want to keep so that way we feel good when things don't go right. When things get tough, oh, Jesus is here for me, and when it works out, it's great. And if it doesn't work out, it's like, well, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. And we try to hold on to those things to keep ourselves from fully surrendering our life to him. You know what's great about that? In the surrender, we become new. In surrendering our lives, we become new. When we surrender our lives, we become attached to a family of people adopted into a place where the Father has a a place for us, a value for us. You know, a, a lot of us have come from 
situations where people didn't have value for you, didn't have a belief in you. And when you come to the kingdom, when surrendering our life, the father saw value in you before you were born. He's like, I know what that person can do. I know the talents they have. I know the calling that they have. And you may not think that you have a value with your earthly family, people around you, but God says, I have a value for you that's worth more than gold. I have a, a place and I have a calling for you, but I need surrender. And it's all just about surrendering our lives to him. It's about giving and saying, you know, I'm just, I can't do this anymore. How many of you guys have ever thrown up your hands during a situation and just say, I can't do this anymore? Like, it's just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to call. I don't know what I'm going to do. And our lives have to come to that point at some time when we get, and that's, I think, and some of us have gotten to that point, and that's when we call on Jesus. When we didn't know what to do, we didn't know where to go, and then it's like, I can't do it anymore, and we just surrender our lives to Jesus. You know, every one of us have a unique story of salvation. Some of them are just boring, and some of them are just amazing, but they're all unique. No, I'm just, I'm serious. I'm, it, some of us have really boring stories of how we accepted Jesus. I'm not saying it, it didn't change our life. It's just not a boring story. But the, what happened when it changed our life is exciting. Some of us just went to the altar when we were kids. Some of us got saved as adults. Some of us, whatever it was. You know, everybody wants this amazing conversion story because we see these amazing conversion stories in the, in the Bible. And we're like, you know, no, I don't want to be the, the person filled with 10,000 demons and then gets released and then, you know, follow Jesus. No, I don't want to be that person. I'm willing to take a boring story <laughs> and still follow Jesus. But what happens with that boring conversion is heaven rejoices. What happens with that amazing conversion is heaven rejoices. Exactly the same. There is no difference. Your story may not be bookworthy, but there's still heaven rejoicing. And the great thing is, is the Father has a value for us no matter who you are matter if you can change the world or can't change the world. You're going to change someone's world. You, you may not be, I see so many people that want to influence people. I don't, be, I want to be an, you know, this new thing is uh, teenage girls on TikTok want to be an influencer. I don't want to, I don't want my kids being an influencer on TikTok. I'll burn that phone. Um, <laughs> but I want my kids to be influential. I want my kids to be able to move culture and society in the areas that they're at. If they're in business, if they're in healthcare, whatever it is, I want them to move in those areas. I want them to be influential. I want to, for them to bring revival into that area. I want them to bring heaven into that area. But that all comes from them sitting at the table receiving from God. Revival doesn't happen from people who don't sit at the table and talk with their father. Revival doesn't happen that way. Culture doesn't change by not sitting at the table and talking to God. It doesn't come from the, it, healing doesn't happen when you don't look for the crumbs falling off the table. But he values us. He has a place for us. But I, I also want to talk to you about who's sitting at your table. And I'm not talking about your kitchen table, because I've sat at most of your kitchen tables. At least most of you. Um, 
but who is sitting at the table of your heart? You know, you're going to hear things in your life that it's better at another table than this table. It's better at another place. It's going to make me feel happier. You're going to hear things that, things that come to your table that says you're worthless. You don't have value. You're not going to make it through this season. There's no way out of this. You know, people don't like you. People hate you. People don't have, um, don't treasure you. But what voices do you allow to sit at the table of your heart? What voices do you say, hey, take a seat and talk with me? What people do you allow to sit at the table of your life? That have influence, that can speak into your life? Are they, are they giving you the word of God and building you up? Or are they, are they tearing you down and saying, this is this, this is this, and you're never going to do this? What beliefs have you allowed to sit at the table of your heart? What wrong beliefs have you allowed to sit at the table of your heart? There's, there's beliefs that you can let sit there and say, this is what the word of God says. You know, I'm going to take every thought captive. But you know, there's also times where we're going to let beliefs come and sit at the table of our heart that we can believe for generations. And I think we need to guard our hearts because the Bible says that, so I, I agree with that. Um, but it says, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Your heart, when you allow things to come to that table of your heart, they can corrupt it. They can, they can poison it. They can do different things. It was um, in World War II, they, uh, the Japanese, when they, the islands that they were taking over, um, when the, the U.S. pushed back, they would take and find every well and every freshwater um, spot they could, and they would kill an animal and let it rot and then throw it in the freshwater wells and the freshwater springs in order to poison the people who drank it. So there was no viable living water that could sustain a person. And I think when we let people sit and we let voices and we let ideas and things sit at the table of our heart, it, it poisons the wellspring. It can cause us to be um, cynical about what God wants to do for us. You guys ever had that mind, that thought come into your head? I don't know, you know, you're like, you know God wants you, but then in that, there's that little thought that creeps in. Does he really? Does God really want that? Does he really want to heal you? Those thoughts can come into your head. Those thoughts can come in. Are you really worthy to be a child of God. Those little thoughts, those little things can come into your head. And you have to say, you know what, you're not welcome here. This is, th- this t- our table, uh, our hearts have to be um, guarded. Not everyone can come sit at your table. Not everyone can have access to you. Not everyone can come to you and say, oh, you know what, this is what's going to go on in your life and this is how you have to act and this is what you need to, to do. No, you don't allow everybody to. It'd be like me walking up to one of your like, cousins. I have no idea. And be like, hey, you just really need to do this with your life and you need to do, stop doing this and really do this. They'd be looking at me like, who are you? Who, who are you? Why are you speaking into my life? But when you have that relationship with people around you, we can speak into each other's lives. 
And when it's a safe relationship and when it's a healthy kingdom relationship, we know they're not, there's no ill intent. There's not like, well, I'm here to make your life miserable as a fellow believer. I want to make you. No, it, it doesn't work that way. If you have a, a healthy relationship with God and you have a healthy relationship with the people around you, you can speak into each other's lives. Whether it's encouragement, correction, um, just saying, I, you know, you're an amazing person. I love you. It can be a little things, but it's a safe relationship. But you don't just let anybody come in and say, you know, I'm just going to speak into your life. No, it doesn't work that way. There was times in our life where we had to push people. There was nobody at the table. It was Sarah and I at the table. You know, when, when our kids were, or when she was pregnant, it was, there's nobody at the table but my wife and I. And it sounds inclusive and, no, I'm just kidding. It was very exclusive at that moment. Um, we had jackets, one said Mar- one said Sarah. Um, but that point... There was nobody that had access to the table except for my wife and I in certain areas because we, we knew what the enemy was doing to, trying to attack our children. You know, one was in the womb and one, the other one was while, while it was trying to come out of the womb. And we had, to, we had very limited seating at that table at that time because we had to be in agreement. We had to make sure that we knew exactly what God was saying, what he wanted us to do, and who was going to speak into our life. And there's times where we go through things and there's times where we have to say, you know what, no one, has, no one is going to get a full access to us right now because this is a fight we have to go through. We've been through fights of people like, you went through that? Yeah, we did, but we didn't tell anybody because we had to get through it in order for our testimony to be strong. So what you're allowing at the table of your life and your heart has to be guarded. You can't just allow anybody to come in and start to speak into your life. If you know that person and you know that they love God and they're following God and, they, and you um, have them speak into your, and you've had them speak into you before and you trust them, then allow them to speak into your life. Allow them at the table to spend time with you. Because in that time, in that, those moments together, God is working. He's working on you and he's working on them. But who's sitting at your table is what I want to ask you. Think about what you're allowing into your life, allowing people to speak into your life, what they're saying into your life. Sometimes you have to clean the table. Um, Sometimes you have to pull chairs out from the table and not have chairs there. And sometimes there's people you have to say, can you please get out from the table and leave? I think there's times in our life where we've, we've told our kids, get up from the table, you're just being ridiculous, go be ridiculous somewhere else. And I think there's times in our lives we have to say that to people in our lives and say, you're being ridiculous, go, be, go sit somewhere else and be ridiculous because you're not going to be that here. But coming to the table of God starts with surrender. Surrendering our lives to him, giving our lives to him, not, well, I'm going to give you this, but I'm going to hold on to this. It has to be a complete surrender to God. He doesn't make us a three-quarter new person. He makes us a fully new person. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to make you half new and half old, and we'll just see how it works out. No, he restores us, and he makes us in his image to cre- in the way that God designed us. That's why they call it, in the Bible it calls us the new man. 
woman, whatever, woman, man, whatever, man, just a generic term. Um, sorry, I just wanted to make the ladies feel uh, like they, no problem. Um, yes, but man is a generic term in the Bible, so we'll leave it at that. But God says, I'm going to make you a new creation, I'm going to make you a new man, and I expect surrender. We cannot surrender part and expect a, full, a new man to come out. Because what happens is when, we, don't, when we, we give our lives to Christ and we don't surrender everything, we take it back up and then the, the old man, we dig up that old man and we put on the old skin. And we wonder why things aren't going the way they, why I'm struggling with victory in my life, why I'm struggling with having peace, why I'm struggling with anxiety, why I'm struggling with sin again, it's because we've picked up the old corpse and we've slung him around our back and we're carrying him with us. And Jesus says, lay down everything you have, surrender everything you have, come to me and I will give you life. I will make living waters run out of you. So that table, when we come to that table, when we sit with God, he ministers to us. And that's the best thing. Is, man, have you ever had that, those moments you're just sitting with God and he's just working with you and he's ministering to you and you just like, how are you doing this? Like just, and have you ever had those moments where God changes in an instant? You're like, oh my gosh. I went from feeling this way and, and moving this way to God has changed this. And he's, it's like a, a light bulb got switched. And you're like, oh, I had a God ha-ha moment. And all of a sudden you're heading in the different direction. But that's those moments, that sitting at the table with God and listening to what he has to say, talking with him and allowing him to move you, move in you. And it, only, and it has to start with that surrender. He wants to restore and he wants to transform. And he's designed us to all have that. He created us for that. You know that he created us for salvation? Salvation wasn't an afterthought of creation. He created us and created salvation in the same process. He knew what was going to happen. He said, well, you know what? There's always going to be a way to me, and I always already have a plan, and I'm still going to create man with that. It wasn't like, well, now I've got to figure out what they're going to do because somebody screwed it up over there. No, he, doesn't, he knew what was going to happen, and he had a plan for us from the beginning of time. He had restoration from our, of our sins planned before the creation of the world. And he knew what we were going to do. He knew the, those dumb moments we were going to have, those, that sin in our life, that, that momentary lapse of judgment. And he's like, I already got this covered. But it just takes calling on the name of, the, of Jesus, repenting of our sins, and saying, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I am sinful, and I want to be a new person. What happens is when we are born again, fear of the Lord comes into us. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Be wise. Listen to God, what he's saying, and what he asks of you. Wisdom gets us a long way. I think today... You know, we, uh, we celebrate freedom. We celebrate what? Um, 
people have laid their lives down for us, families down, different things like that. And I think the ultimate form of freedom was Jesus coming to earth, sacrificing himself. You know, people are like, he was murdered. No, you can't murder a willing person. A willing person, murder is someone who is not willing to be killed, getting killed. Jesus laid his life down. It doesn't say Jesus' life was taken from him. It says Jesus laid his life down for us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. And so when you lay your life down to him, you're dying to self and coming up a new person. And I think as Christians, we just emulate what Jesus did. We watch what he does. So when he lays his life down, we lay our lives down. Let's pray.